Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show where we listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. We have made it within literally five seconds of getting on air. We have made it, and uh, yeah, joining me for the first hour to recap the Raptors' win over the Indiana Pacers are the Pound of Rock Boys from the Score, uh, Jessica Sharo. Joe Wolfon. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing, man? So, you guys all right? Great, man. This Made is, it in the nick of time. Yeah. It's a cozy show. Will's got a cozy-looking sweater on. Wolfon and I are separated by about four inches over here. We're good. Yeah. There's oh. nothing like when we used to cram into the score studio to record Pound the Rock back in the day, though. What did we call it before? Like the the, the water tank or something? Like it was like... <laughs> I don't remember that. No? All right. The it was a cozy bowl? spot, though. It was a, it was a cozy spot. Oh, Will's got the French now? press going, too? That's right, yes. That brings I, back old memory. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, this is why I was, like, uh, almost late for the start of the show. Alex, you could just go close the door now. Thank you for the you're going to share that French press coffee with us right now. Well, listen, I can only make one at a time. So okay. you guys are here for two segments. I'm going to get you one each. Uh, I've started a company at the, uh, you know, at this company. It's called Big Face Coffee. <laughs> All right. Uh, Big Head Coffee, sorry. It's, it's, I was going to say, you don't want Jimmy ripoff. Butler coming after you. I was going to say that. That's already been taken, no? Yeah, clear ripoff, but uh, it, it will be $20. But uh, I will give one of you guys a coffee to start uh, if you guys do want it to, 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 to happen. Because, yeah, that's the kind of excitement I'm feeling after that win, after the Pacers. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible how much uh, a one-point game can change your entire life. It was a caffeinating experience. <laughs> That's exactly the point I'm trying to get to. Uh, Raptors win last night, 132 to 131. Uh, Wolf, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I think the story to me in this game was obviously just very little defense play from Indiana, um, and that really allowing the Raptors to get into a lot of what they do actually do well on offense, which is uh, thriver on the paint. And I think Pascal is a huge example of that. He goes for 36 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Goes 9 of 11 from the free throw line, which is huge, including ma- making two uh, in the fourth quarter in addition to setting up two threes. Um, yeah, Wolfon, what did you see from Pascal? I think it's a lot of what we've seen when the Raptors' offense has been successful this season, which is lean into your strengths. And for him, it was like there were matchup advantages all over the floor that they could attack. Sometimes the Pacers were sending help at those matchups, and he was making the right play. They're getting the ball zipping around. Like, there was one, I can't remember who he had in the post, but they sent a double, and it was like kick, swing, swing, yak, setting the pin in in the corner for, I think, auto. That can work. And then when they're not setting help, he's going to work. And I think the important thing, this is what we've talked about, I think, numerous times, where it's like... These two things, like the idea of what the new offense is supposed to be and what Pascal is good at, don't have to be entirely at odds. You can get Pascal the looks that he likes to get without totally disrupting what you're trying to do. And I think the fact that we've started to see them lean into more of those post-ups, more kind of mid-post isos, while the passing and like the team's assist rate has all stayed very high because... A, I think they're getting it early, like the early offense, especially last night, I thought was a big part of that. He's running the floor, he's getting early deep seals, um, or they're creating the advantage and like initially finding him with that advantage and he's going to work really quickly. Um, Like that's, I think they're getting it within the flow. And so that to me is what 
I know like we're playing a Pacers defense, right? Where there's just not a ton of resistance. You're not going to see those kinds of matchup advantages typically. And you're also going to, even when you have certain matchup advantages against other teams, they're going to be better at accounting for them, you know, bringing doubles and navigating the rotations on the backside than the Pacers were last night. But I think just recognizing where those advantages are and being able to attack them is still progress. Like I think from where we saw this offense at the start of the season, when it was maybe intentionally more about drilling down on these new offensive principles than it was about trying to win the game in front of them. Um, So I think, you know, credit to Pascal for doing exactly what he needed to do. Credit for Darko and the Raptors coaching staff and the Raptors players for recognizing how they needed to help uh, put him in those positions to succeed. And before I kick it over to Cash, I thought most encouragingly, probably out of anything, was just Pascal and Scotty working together, interacting cooperatively in actions together, like not kind of my turn, your turn, or this time we're going to run a play designed for Pascal, next time down we're going to run one for Scotty, but like using them together in action where there are option plays that can unlock either of them for scoring opportunities. And uh, that was really encouraging for me to see. Yeah, and I know it was one game, and you don't want to read too much into it, but watching that game made me think the Raptors could probably stand to play a little faster because, mm, okay. you know, for as much as the, like the .5 offense and the, the concept of making a decision with the ball in your hands within a half second, give or take, obviously not actually that quickly, but that's the general concept of the .5 offense, they don't actually play fast in general. They're one of the slowest-paced teams. It's just that when the ball's in their hands, they're supposed to be making quick decisions. And I think if you kind of watch the way last night flowed, the Pacers, in addition to being terrible defensively, they're an exceptionally fast team. Wolfon and I have talked about this. It's not just that their offense is on a record-setting efficiency pace, but it also plays extremely fast. Mm-hmm. They're fast after stops, after turnovers, but they're also, in terms of after opponents makes, playing at the fastest clip after makes than I think any team in cleaning the glasses like 21-year database or something. And if you watched that game last night, I feel like the Raptors playing at that pace actually helped them because their offense just seemed to be flowing more. And like, I don't know, maybe they didn't have as much time to overthink things, but mm. it did seem, and to, to Wolfon's point, even just the balance between, you know, the pass-happy .5 offense and also just straight up taking advantage of matchup advantages with Pascal – the balance seemed better. Everything seemed more fluid. Again, I realize we're talking about one game. Sometimes the eye test can lie to you when you're talking small samples. But watching that game, that's what I came away thinking. They don't have to be the fastest team in the league like Indiana or Washington or something like that. Yeah. But I think they can stand to play a little faster. Because I think at least going into last, last night's game, they were like bottom five in pace. Mm-hmm. And I think the style they want to play makes a little more sense if they're in general getting into their offense quicker too. Not just making quick decisions when the ball's in their hands. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously true for pretty much every offense that you want to have more time on the shot clock to, to run it, but especially for what the Raptors want to do. You know, it's it's not necessarily intricate, but there's like four or five things that typically have to happen before the ball gets to the high post, and then they're making a decision from there. The quicker you get the ball from there and, you know, you just allow for more actions to be run, um, you cut down on isolation. So I, the Raptors don't really isolate that much anyway. That's one of the big things under Darko. Um but, yeah, I, I mean, obviously yesterday their offense ran at a really um, smooth kind of efficiency. I, I think Pascal leading the line here for the last couple of games have really worked out. Like, he had 
what the the ten point performance I think against uh, Philly in one of their two losses to Philly, and then he had like an eight point performance against San Antonio. Uh, fortunately, they won the one in San Antonio, but that one was pretty much a loss until Scotty took over. In the what nine games since, he's averaged twenty four point five points, seven point eight rebounds, five point four assists on fifty six percent shooting from the field. That's all in thirty two minutes, by the way. I feel like last year he was averaging that, but like in thirty eight minutes a game. Um, and it does feel like he's sort of you know back to you know himself, whether that's Darko, whether that's him. Um, that's combining well. To the point about Darko. Um, how about the play drip for the game winner? Any thoughts on any the, thoughts on that? Wait, are we talking the, uh, when Scotty? Wait, was the game winner the Scotty dunk? I'm trying to remember. I think now. it was. Right, that was the game winner, right? They missed the so la- many free yeah, throws. Yeah, no, I, think that, I think that I think that, that held did, up as the game winning yeah, basket. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. Pascal was it? Pascal that kind of cut across the so the I free th- throw line. The Pascal was, was coming for the handoff. It was uh-huh. a fake handoff right. keeper, and I mean, His what allowed it? What allowed it to work was. Pascal had had a super efficient scoring game. They'd run him off a couple of Scotty DHOs in that game. And I like the Indiana defense bit on it, right? Like that's that's hard to do with a guy who isn't really a threat to like stop and pop coming off a DHO. Usually, you know, you can have the defense kind of laying back a bit and they're not going to bite that hard and sell out to stop the guy coming off the potential DHO, but because they ran it with pace, because Pascal had been having the game that he had, they sold out to stop Siakam, and there goes Barnes with the keeper and gets a runway to the rim. Like, not tremendous defense played by the Pacers on that uh, play, but but a good design, yeah. I think, to take advantage and maybe subvert the expectations of the Pacers' defense a little bit. Yeah, I think in general, Darko's timeout usage was good last night. Mm-hmm. Like his, yeah. you know, run, if you believe in them at all, like his run-stopping timeouts um, to kind of keep the Pacers at bay. And then also the way he used them in the fourth quarter because he used he used it felt like he used a bunch in a short period of time but i thought they were used really well and for the most part they came out of those timeouts almost every time with a nice ato except that one time i don't know if you i think it was in the fourth quarter they came out of a timeout but they didn't really it didn't really seem like they had an ato or maybe the pacers just sniffed out the first uh, option but other than that i thought timeout usage plays after timeout were good and I also think, Will, to your point about Pascal, I think you said his last nine games, what his numbers were, but in only 32 minutes, this does, does get to what Darko Ryakovic was saying from the beginning, even on media day, when yep. he talked about how he doesn't necessarily want to like take away from Pascal's numbers or his overall impact, but he believed, at least at the time, I'm sure he still does, that Pascal can still get to those numbers, but in much more efficient and almost mm. using less effort to do it. Now, obviously, the first few weeks of the season, that didn't seem like the case at all. But yeah. the last couple of weeks, that actually does seem to be the case where he is getting his numbers. It's obviously helping the team. He's getting it within the offense, and it's been a little more efficient. And even just from a minutes perspective, forget the efficiency from a numbers perspective. Mm-hmm. From a minutes and like effort perspective, it has seemed a little better for Pascal as well. Yeah, and I think... Um... You know, the only thing missing from the game right now is he's still not shooting threes much. He made one last night. It felt nice, but, you know, I think he needs to sort of continue working and getting his form back from three. We're not expecting, like, Clay Thompson from three, but, you know, we are expecting just, like, a league average from three. Um, I think that would help a lot. Um, the free throw shooting seems to be bouncing back a little bit. I mean, 9 of uh, 11 last night. When he went to the free throw line, when he got fouled, I think, by Halliburton in, like, a one-possession game when he went to the line, I'm not going to lie to you. I was not expecting both to be made, uh, but he made both, which is nice. You thought he was Gary Trent out there? 
Oh, that's tough. We'll get to Gary. We'll get. We're, we're gonna fifty-five percent on the ear from the line. Yeah, I, it's it's Got unbelievable. That Wiggins syndrome, man. What's going on? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll try to fix. Uh, well, because Darko has already fixed Malachi, and we'll talk Malachi as well. But we will try to put on our Darko hats. And uh, I guess he he doesn't have hats. What does Darko have? Hugs? All right, we're gonna we're gonna do our Darko hugs and figure out how do we fix uh, Precious and Gary because those two guys are causing me a lot of stress watching Raptors games. But mm. to the point about Pascal, like. He is generating that advantage. And I think when you're thinking about 0.5 offense, like you still need to generate that first advantage for, in exactly order for that it. advantage to cascade. Yeah. And the Raptors weren't finding enough advantages elsewhere aside from Pascal. Um, obviously, Scotty was doing it, but like he can't just be the only man who's creating the advantages. If they want to play a lot out of Yak, we saw last night that was a good example of how they want to play out of Yak. And your point about the timeouts was great because, you know, um, I went back and looked at it. After the Raptors, the Raptors had called, I think, six timeouts last night. Um, and what five of them they had the ball right afterwards, so they were able to immediately drop the set to go into it. They got four makes out of it, all four at the rim, including the game winner. And then the f- one that they missed, it was kind of a play that kind of went dead. And then Dennis took Buddy Heald off the dribble to the basket and got stripped. Process wise, I actually don't hate that. I think you could drive Buddy Heald to the basket. That was like half of the Raptors' offense last night, but. Yeah, Darko did a good job of managing, you know, his timeouts. I thought his rotations were much better, too. I was going to say, yeah, that was a big part of it, like the lineup decisions. And I, what does that look like if Precious Achua is healthy? You know what I mean? Like, is that, did, did that change things to the point that those were the rotations we saw instead of the, yeah. you know, the, the four bench guy units that have been falling on their face pretty much all season? I, I would hope that you kind of look at the tape from that game and recognize yeah, I think having two starters on pretty much at all times is probably a better way to go. And I think the way that he structured those lineups in order to get usually as much shooting on the floor as possible mm-hmm. uh, was clearly really beneficial. And I just thought, and this is a broader trend, but the the minutes with, with Scotty at the five were once again really, really strong. Yeah. And I think those minutes were where we saw him and Pascal getting the most out of their two-man game. Like, actually running pick-and-rolls together, getting slips, getting stuff at the rim out of that. Um, I mean, there was another play, even before uh, the fake DHO that won the game, where it was Pascal looked like he was coming to get a DHO, then cut back door. I think he had Matherin on him. Scotty hits him on the cut, and it's like uh, TJ McConnell was the low man. You know, because Yak, Yak was not on the floor. Sure. Like, it yeah. just, yeah. I'm not, I think Yak's had a bit of an up-and-down season. He's had some rough patches. Again, last night, just a couple times where he wasn't catching the ball cleanly, which has never really been an issue for him in the past. But I, I don't put this on him necessarily. It's just that if they're able to survive, and they're doing more than survive defensively right now, they're thriving defensively with Scotty at the five, which is like a huge development if that can continue if if they can manage that at the at the defensive end it's just so much cleaner mm-hmm. offensively and especially in terms of the synergy that you get with him and pascal because of how much more space there is you know especially when it's someone like Otto taking yak spot in those yeah. lineups i mean it's well first off it's as you mentioned this is a trend that is extension of what happened last year as well i don't i know i know a lot of people are like advocating like okay you know why did we get yak if we want to play scotty at the five i thought that Last year, he got it, got overplayed at the five. Um, I think it can wear you down. I think the analogy to draw here for me is, like, 
when the Warriors had their great teams, it was like they would start Draymond and Andrew Bogut. You have a true seven-footer. And then when you need to go turbo or towards the end, you go smaller. And we see that all the time. Yak never closes games. Last night, two-minute mark, uh, OG went to the foul line, and Darko was like, yeah, get, get, let me put Gary in the game instead. Let me put Malachi in the game instead afterwards for, for defense instead of Jakob. But, like, most centers nowadays are really situational. Like, there are maybe five, like, all utility centers in every single scenario. So you're going to have to toggle between them. My bigger thing is, you know, you pointed out that Precious wasn't available. Like, the times we've seen Scotty play small ball five has been when Precious has been out of the lineup. You know, and those minutes have looked really good. And, you know, and we're talking about, like, running a lot of what the Raptors want to do with their hub offense. The hub looks a lot better when it's Scotty versus when it's Precious. Yep. So, you cash, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, like, can, can you get Scotty minutes at the five with Precious still on the floor? With Precious still on the floor, probably not, or not as many as they'd like to. I think, okay. unfortunately, the answer here might be that Precious might slowly find himself fading out of the rotation. Like, maybe not completely, but... I could see it happening because if you look at A, just how the bench has struggled um, with all those guys in there, and B, like with, I'm not saying Precious and Boucher do all the same things, but at the same time, like they're both bench bigs. Both of them really rely on energy. Like they can, you know, both make some low IQ plays. Like I, I yeah. don't think you want both guys out there together that often. If you're only going to play one at a time, you're going to have one of the other bigs or Scotty masquerading as a five in there too. You're not going to have a lot of time for both of them anyway separately. So like one of them probably has to see his minutes cut. Now to start the season, Achua has been hurt and that's, I guess, not helped the team, but you know what I mean? Helped Darko mm-hmm. figure out a rotation without him because he hasn't been in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, sure. And Boucher has been in and out of the lineup. But if those guys are both healthy and available every night, starting to think you're going to have to pick one of them. And it doesn't have to be a full-time thing. Maybe it's matchup dependent. I don't know. But I don't see how both these guys, the way both have played so far this year, and especially when compared against the way the Raps look with Scotty at the five, and more importantly, as Wolfon touched on, the way Scotty and Pascal play together when Scotty's at the five. Because we've talked, I know Wolfon and I have talked off air about, like, can Siakam and Barnes ever have great games together? Like, can, or do they yeah, sure. always have to yeah. be one on, one off? And I think this might be the path towards that is having Scotty at the five, again, in isolated minutes. Like you said, it could be situational. But I think one of Boucher or Ochoa probably has to fade out of the rotation for that to happen as often as the Raptors need it to happen. And need it to happen not only for, like, let's say the rest of the year it's not successful. That's still an important data point that you need, right? You're building this thing around Scotty Barnes. Like, you need to know, hey, is this a real thing? Is Scotty at the five something that we can roll with going forward for 15 minutes a game? Like, you need that sample size to be as big as it can possibly be, I think, this year. So you just have that information. And I think that is more important than, yeah, finding minutes for both Precious and Chris. And, you know, I think Precious has definitely had his moments defensively this season. But the big thing with him is, like, if he's not giving it to you at the defensive end, then I just don't see a reason really to play him right now because it's it's always going to be an adventure offensively. And I think this season he's hurt at that end of the floor more than he's helped. And... Honestly, like, again, he's had some great defensive performances. That game against Orlando, I think, was, like, one of the worst defensive games I've seen him play yeah. as a Raptor. And if Very he's, disconnected, yeah. Uh, if he is not, you know, providing that sort of bulwark uh, on the back line of your defense, then I, I think that he looks to me more like 
the odd man out. And I think with, again, we're, we're talking about getting data points here, but if we're talking about Scotty at the five, why it's worked so much better this year than it did last year, for example. One of the things I think is like Scotty's looked so much better as a, a rim protector mm-hmm. on yeah, the back sure. line of the defense. He's been very, very strong. And just the rebounding, man. Like yeah. he, he has been so much better as a rebounder, not only just like getting up and like out jumping guys or out maneuvering guys on the glass, but like his box, his box outs have been so sound. Like he had one uh, in the second half last night where he just like, he didn't seem like he had position on Miles Turner. And like at the last second, he kind of just like ducked in and boxed him out. And he didn't even grab the rebound. It was a team rebound, but it was just like little stuff like that that he wasn't doing last year that's made him more viable, I think, as a small ball center. And his re like Scotty's also capable of loud rebounds. And I think we could all, like, you guys have probably seen what I'm talking about. It's not just that. He, Tell me he getting a Carmelo rebound? Is, you know, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have to say what Carmelo said when he grabbed it. It's you know, to I be honest, Mello you so can much. have the game on mute, and there are <laughs> yeah, some yeah. rebounds that yeah, Scotty yeah, grabs, yeah. and you'd be like, "That was a loud rebound." Yeah, it's gotcha. one of those "give me that" rebounds where it's uh-huh. like uh, a maze of bodies, 50-50 ball. Scotty not only gets to it, but gets to it like before the other four guys going for it have even left the ground. He's mm-hmm. like five mm-hmm. feet above them, comes down with it. It's just. There's like a presence about him when he does, yes, and I know sure. from an evaluation standpoint that like doesn't really matter. But when you're watching it, it, it does matter. Like you, I don't want to say it's an effort thing because obviously every player like they want to get the ball, but it's it's an ability thing. It's an athletic gift thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. his ability to grab those rebounds helps when he is playing an undersized five because obviously rebounding is one of the things a lot of teams usually give up mm-hmm. when they are playing smaller with a smaller guy at the five, but. When you have Scotty in there and ha- he has those athletic gifts and he is one of the players who can grab those loud kind of give me that rebounds, it offsets that. Yeah. I mean, I think it also speaks to his conditioning, the improved conditioning that he talked about. Uh, Don't get me times. But I mean, like, seriously, I, I think it's translating. My thing is, look, I, I don't want to give up on Precious just yet. Like, I, I'm cool with sliding Precious out of being the post hub for my own sanity. Uh, <laughs> but... And give it to Scotty, right? Because I think A, Scotty's much better at it. B, yeah. it'll make you much more competitive. But I also think that then you would have to find a different role for Precious. That's, is he cool essentially playing three and D? Right. And so that when Precious looked like, oh wow, this could be a dude, like yeah. this could be actually part of the core moving forward, yeah. was after the All Star break two seasons ago when he was shooting over forty percent mm-hmm. from three on like decent volume he had a pull-up three in transition in like Joel Embiid's eye one of yeah. those games it was random yeah it was so that is just I mean that that is more than a swing skill for him like that mm-hmm. is yeah. that's like the whole sandwich right there right like that is everything if he if that ever comes back with consistency then of course there's a role for him offensively because you know, not only is he able to make defenses pay if they're sagging off of him, maybe he starts to actually garner some respect. And I think what we saw down the stretch of that season was whether guys were, like, staying close to him when he was spotting up, he was drawing closeouts. And for him, like, that opens everything up because he is actually able to put the ball on the floor and he is so explosive, you know, it's like one dribble and he can be on top of the rim if he's attacking a closeout. But if that's not happening, he doesn't have any space to attack. And again, mm-hmm. it's like, where do you put him? Where does he go? How do you use him in the offense? When, when he was shooting lights out from deep, it was kind of just like earlier that season, he'd, ha- he'd had all these problems figuring out like just where to be on the floor, where to space, when to cut. And he was constantly cutting into guys' airspace and 
just like getting in people's way. And that made it so much easier because it's like, yeah, you can just kind of like, you know, we have like a baseline drift. Like you can stay up here and like float to the wing. And suddenly it simplified everything for him offensively. And I think right now it's not hitting his threes. Like he hit that pick and pop three against the Pistons that was like, okay, I would love to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's more if he's not getting those kind of elbow touches, yeah, it, does he know how to operate within <laughs> within an no, offense in a helpful way? I would love for him to just, like, get with Otto Porter and just, like, watch Otto Porter tape. Even just Otto Porter on this team. Like, it's not even that much tape. There's probably only been, like, 100 minutes played. Watch all 100 Pretty solid minutes. solid minutes, though. Yesterday, Otto Porter comes in, plays 11 minutes off the bench, right? He's the one who was promoted up in the rotation because of the fact that uh, Precious is out. So he takes some uh, some of those minutes, and all he had in the box score was like four rebounds and a, and one made three. But like when you watch them, you're like, oh, this is actually a stress free performance. Like he's in the right spots. He's not overcrowding. Obviously, there's total difference between Otto, who's a career forty percent three point shooter, yeah. and Precious, as you're mentioning. But there's a lot of things you can learn and adapt from some of that kind of thing. Because I'm not giving up on Precious as as a prospect. I just want him to not make and make so many mistakes that it essentially like tanks the whole bench. And it's not only him. We'll get to Gary right after this. But to me, it's just like, I want to see more out of Precious. Because, look, if Darko can fix Malachi, I know he can fix an even better prospect, Precious. But this is the kind of delicate dance this team is trying to sure. do this year, yeah. right? In that, like, if they were just a team that you could strictly say, okay, they're very much in development mode and rebuilding, and it's you can afford to lose some games because you're letting... Precious spread his rings or try to spread his ring or maybe put him in uncomfortable spots and and see what happens, right? And if you lose games because of it, you lose games because of it. But this team is also kind of, sort of trying to win and they owe that top six protected pick to San Antonio and, like, they still have Siakam here. Like, that's where it gets difficult because they're not this strictly developing, rebuilding team that can afford to necessarily lose all these minutes while they're experimenting with Precious. And to be honest with you, Otto Porter makes more sense a lot of nights with the way yeah, he plays yeah, and just sure. how smart of a ball player he is if they're trying to win games. And again, it's like, how do you how do you find that balance between, like you said, obviously no one wants to give up on Freshers. They shouldn't give up mm-hmm. on him. Yeah. But he needs time on the court to work through some things, to get more comfortable, to for the Raptors to see if he can give them something close to what he was giving them at the end of that 2021-22 season. But if he's not out there, like, how does he prove it? But yeah. if he is out there, you're taking maybe minutes away from a guy like Otto who's actually helping you win right now. Like, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. It's a tough spot to be in. Um, Gary, I didn't think the Raptors would have to straddle so hard in those two timelines because I thought the Raptors would need Gary this season. Uh, you need a shooting. You need, you know, to have more than two guards in your rotation, right? And I don't think anyone's expected that Malachi will be playing ahead of Gary. Um, or that Malachi would actually low-key be performing on par, if not slightly better than Gary, if we factor on both ends of the floor. Last few games, he's been better, for yeah. sure. I was yeah. going to say, if he's getting more time, it's deservedly so. Last night, he was definitely better. I've seen Malachi wear the chain now. He's the first Raptors guard to wear the chain. I don't think Dennis has gotten it. I don't think Gary has gotten it. Um, but anyway, what, what, what's up with Gary? Because obviously, everyone saw the two missed free throws at the end. No one expects him to shoot 55% from free throw. Obviously, he got the plantar fasciitis that kept him out for a while, too. Um, I know it's kept Alex out of pickup basketball for five months. So, uh, anyway, maybe he's the guy to ask about this. But, yeah, Wolf on, uh, how, how, how do we get Gary back, man? Uh, yeah, I don't 
I don't know because so much of it is just tied to the shooting and the shooting hasn't been there. I'm not a shot doctor, so I can't give you like a, <laughs> okay. a, a magical mechanical fix. He's not wearing an NN hat, right? He's not a shot yeah. doctor. Shot doctors hate him. <laughs> One seeker fix to... I mean, yeah, so, yeah, somehow Dylan Brooks like got in the in the Raptors practice facility for like a week and with the Noah system that he credited yeah. with fixing his jump shot. And now he's like one of the best three point shooters in the league. But for like two weeks, it looked like RJ was benefiting from it, too. Yeah, it's, it's it works for everybody except the actual Raptors somehow. <laughs> but yeah. maybe you just need like one week with it instead yeah. of all you can't overdo it. Yeah, I don't know. So I think it's it, in the <clears throat> in the meantime, because I do think the shot is going to come back to some extent. A, he's not going to shoot 55% from the free throw line all season. B, I think he's going to shoot better from behind the three-point line as well. So in the meantime, can he just find ways to make himself useful, even if the shot isn't falling? And to me, that's just about, like, even even if he shoot like, what is he shooting now from three? Like 32, 33%, something like that? I believe he's actually at his career average of 37 right now. Wow. Really? Yeah. I know. I know. It's a huge surprise to everybody. Trust me. Yeah. Um, yeah he is at 38.3%. Wow. His career is 38.4%. What's he at inside yeah. the arc? Yeah. Inside the arc is where it's really scary. It's at 37%. Last year, it was actually a career high for him at 49%. I actually thought he did a lot of good things inside the arc last year. Well, yeah. Like last year, he kind of discovered that floater game, right? Where that yeah, was yeah. a super effective counter for him when he got run off the arc. And. That, that hasn't been there for him at all this year. I think the, the thing with Gary is, like, even if he's not hitting a shot switch, apparently he is way better like, than I thought he was. <laughs> no, it, but, does, it does not feel like 38. Yeah. But, like, like, you could have him shooting 32% from three and Dennis shooting 40% from three, which Dennis has been for most of this year, and Gary is still the one who's going to get guarded like a shooter. Like, this is the thing with Schroeder. Like, he's been awesome, honestly, especially for what they've, you know, been expecting or asking him to do as a mid-level exception guy. He's been yeah. awesome. Especially shooting. on the Raptors show. By the way, Dennis is going to join us at the, the three, 3 o'clock hour. There you go. There you go. Uh, shooting, you know, uh, high 30% from three, 55%, I think, on long twos this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has not changed how he's guarded. No. Like, that's the thing. So, Gary still gets guarded like a shooter. If you are using him in off-ball actions that can attract defensive attention pull defenders away from the central just as a decoy, then he's still going to be useful, right? And I think we have seen that at times. And I don't know, maybe at some point the fix is, like, let's see how he, like, I think the, the lineups, like the starting lineups with him in those lineups have been pretty effective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whether that leads to an actual starting lineup change Probably at some not. point. Probably not. But uh, I just think, you know, having him play alongside the starters as often as possible is, like, I think the best way to get the most out of him because having him run with those bench groups where he's being relied upon to do a little bit more with the ball in his hands, I feel like that's where it's really not going well. Yeah, honestly, last night, it really dawned on me. I was like, you know, when you have Gary, Chris, and Precious all on the floor making decisions, and I would extend Grady to this group, I would extend Jalen McDaniels to this group, when three of those guys are on, it just creates too much chaos, so much that it doesn't matter who the two starters with them are. Right, you just need to have like, it, and that's on them. Honestly, that's really on them. You got to learn more and more, you know, how, how to play a in this system, but also just be in general. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm sure a vet like Otto could go to any system and just be himself. Right, that's a true skill. So these are things that they got to improve on. But to me, it's just watching Gary. I'm just kind of baffled. Like, I, I just don't understand. I know he's a quality player. That's this. This is 
And I know he didn't fall off suddenly at the age of 25. Yeah, it's strange, man. The free throw shooting is the concerning part, right? Because yeah, it could be mental, I guess. You know, like obviously there's uh, a history with Gary where we know he's a better shooter than this. Yeah. But like usually, if you were evaluating, say, a young player who was struggling from deep, you'd look at the free throw shooting and be like, okay, there's a baseline there that they they can be a good shooter because yeah. they're good from the free yeah. throw line. Gary apparently, surprisingly, is actually shooting okay from deep, but his his free throw shooting has gone in the tank, and that's why I made the the Wiggins joke because. Mm-hmm. Wiggins has had this stretch now in his career where he's, you know, had become a good three-point shooter, and for whatever reason, the free throw shooting tailed off. And I hope that's not the case with Gary. But the other thing with Gary too is like, in addition to the poor decision making with other poor decision makers in that bench lineup, I just don't see those possessions. And I know some people will say, well, you don't want to see those because that means the offense has gone to crap. But I miss those possessions where like sometimes Gary would just have to bail out a possession, right? Like the possession yeah, sure, is yeah. stuck in the mud, and at least Gary, being one of the few guys on this team that can create his own shot and make a tough shot would do so. And again, yeah, you don't want to have to rely on that. I get that. But it's also nice to have a guy who's capable of that. Right. Gary Trent has not looked capable of that this year. Like, yeah. And they need to get that guy back because I think we talked about it our first appearance on the show this season when we talked about some X factors. I don't remember who brought Gary up, but we talked about the fact that he, he literally one of the only guys on this team that can create his own shot. If he's not doing it and not being able to make those shots either, uh, yeah. you know, an offense that already has its challenges has another one. Yeah, it's weird. Like, coming into the season, wouldn't you have expected him to be one of the guys who was really benefiting yeah. mm-hmm. most from the new offensive system? Yeah. Like, shooter, m- maybe with more movement, more, more movement, more screening, more yeah. cuts, like all that stuff would seem to benefit him more than almost anybody. And that clearly hasn't been the case. And I almost feel the opposite of you. Like, yeah, it was nice to see sometimes when a possession would grind down him, bail them out with like one of his patented, you know, step back mid rangers. But I don't think you ever wanted to rely on that. And I think, if anything, there have been a few too many possessions this year where it's like they actually have pretty decent offensive flow, and he's the one who's kind of short-circuiting it right. by not making a quick decision or calling his own number when you know there's a better option out there on the floor. So I think, yeah, I don't know. It's surprising to me that he's the one who has been uh, you know, the, the kind of squeaky wheel in the offense some of the time when it, it seemed like it would be a little bit more seamless for him. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think sometimes we also take a short side of view on these things. It's like earlier the year when Pascal was struggling, it's like maybe he doesn't fit. And now all of a sudden he comes into form, and I was like, wow, he looks great. Just takes time. I, I'm hoping it's the same thing for guys like Gary and Precious as well. Because like, if you get them performing, all of a sudden you actually would but feel pretty is, confident but, but, about this rotation. But Pascal didn't fit with the way that they were using him that, early in the year. Yeah, you're right. That is different. Oh. Also, I'll bring up the fact, like, obviously... Well, they were using him like he was, was supposed to be some, like, shooting guard or something. Which <laughs> well, is, that's what I mean. Yeah. So it's like, you know they, who they, is a shooting guard? Gary <laughs> <laughs> Trent. Yeah. Like, they, they had to adapt the offense to him. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we, we can't keep using him like he's Cam Johnson. You know, it's like, <laughs> it just didn't make sense. So, right, right. But, but I don't think they're doing anything that's like, oh, no, you're really leaning away from Gary's strengths here. You know, we got to maximize. It's not that they would do that anyway because mm-hmm. he's just not as much of a priority as some of the other players on the roster. But even process-wise, I don't think there's anything you could point to and be like, they're misusing Gary. Right. Uh, and I'll point out, too, like we're obviously talking about this uh, within the context of how it helps or hurts the Raptors this season and maybe going forward. But Gary Trent's in a contract here. Nick. Yeah. Like, he's... And he chose to stay here, by the way, because he picked, picked up, up the that option, option. Yeah. to, you know, re-enter free agency next year, bet on himself a little bit, and, and obviously thought he could get more guaranteed long-term uh, by waiting it out a year. And I hope for his 
sake that's the case because, yeah. you know, we never want to see players losing money. But the way he started this season, like, if I were him and his agent, I'd be a little nervous about what I'm doing to my value. So I know he's got obviously lots of time he does, to yeah. change that. We're, what, 15 games into the season, you know, 67 to go. But it it has to start turning around soon because, again, even, even if you're just looking at it from the player's perspective, like, this is not the way you want to go in to free agency. Yeah. Darko's got a lot to do, but last night he did a damn great job, man. Got the rotations right, got the timeouts right, got the after-timeout plays right, uh, and got the post-game chain right as well, giving it to Mally. Never knew that his nickname was Mally, but uh, he's Mally Flynn from now on. He's like he's a hockey player or something. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will look at potential first-time playoff teams. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by the Pound of Rock Boys, Cash Wolfon. Uh, okay, so the Raptors played the Pacers last night. Uh, they played the Orlando Magic before that. Currently, right now, the Pacers at eight and six, and the Magic at ten and five uh, would both be slated to, uh, to 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 make the playoffs. I know everyone's looking in season tournament right now, but I'm looking long term at the full eighty two. And there's there's a, there's a number of breakout teams across the league. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on will these teams make the playoffs? by year's end. All right, we'll start with those Pacers. Eight and six, obviously, number one offense in the league, historically dominant offense. Uh, they average, what, 128? Probably bumped up a little bit last night after scoring 131. They don't play any defense at all. Tyrese Halliburton is the modern-day Steve Nash. Um, yeah, your thoughts. Are they going to make the playoffs, yes or no? I think they won't. I think they'll make the play-in and fall short of the playoffs. Uh, and then that's coming from someone who's like a huge believer in Tyrese Halliburton and what mm-hmm. they're building around him. I think the fact that they are so elite offensively gives them a path. Uh, something I noted when I wrote about them last week is that the last time a top five offense missed the playoffs was the 2016-17 Nuggets, huh. who also were 29th defensively while being fourth offensively. So usually a top five offense, even with a, a man to bad defense, you make the playoffs. But if you just start like running through the teams in the East, I think you can get to eight that will get in over the Pacers. And I also think, like, they need pristine health from Halliburton. When he isn't in there and on the court, the offense, obviously, even though it tries to operate in a similar fashion, isn't nearly as effective. And the team just isn't as good. So if you could guarantee me that Tyrese Halliburton plays, like, 80 games, I'd say, all right, they're going to squeeze in there. But I I just don't think that's realistic. And I think uh, the margin for error will be too slim because of how bad the defense is. So as much as I like the Pacers, it's a long way of me saying I think they will be the first team since the 2016-17 Nuggets to miss the playoffs while having a top-five offense. I'll say yes, just because I think they'll be close enough to make it worth their while to make a trade at some point. Okay, I think that's kind of the path where they see fit to get a defensive-minded forward. Uh, Maybe there will be one or two of those available at the trade deadline, and I... Stop looking at the Raptors show sign when you say that. All right, you can't have OG. Look, but they're, ne- never they're give them up. just natural trade partners. They uh, really are, yeah. So, yeah, whether it's one of the Raptors guys or, you know, somebody that they can find elsewhere, I feel like, again, if they are even hovering around 500 mm-hmm. and looks like they're going to have a pretty decent chance to get in, 
I just feel like even for a team that is young and that is building for the future, those playoff reps are valuable. And I think, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on the market and like what the going rate is for, you know, like a three and D combo forward. But I, I feel like it will be worth their while to, to make some kind of a push. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like an all in type of trade, but you know, I think, uh, I think that's what will sort of push them over the top and get them in. They do have pieces because we did not see the Pacers at, at full strength last night. I mean, Aaron Nesmith has been a really good rotation player for yep. them. Shooting the lights out. Andrew Nemhard um, has been great all two seasons of his career, I guess, so far. Jairus Walker, their lottery pick, has yet to feature much for them, and I think he's going down to the G League. Um, but he could be an intriguing uh, piece to, that could also potentially be moved. And as you mentioned, like, yeah, it, it really depends on what management wants to do with this group. They they have a lot of, like, they have made some, like, win-now pieces, I would suppose, like Bruce Brown coming in here, I think helps push towards that direction. I think Obi Toppin, aside from whatever defense he was playing on the last play last night, uh, thank you for that, Obi. But, you know, he's been a nice addition for them too. But I think, yeah, clearly they need a big, you know, two-way wing. Because, if like, this style is not going to work in the playoffs. And I don't know that that's always said about any up-and-coming high-scoring team was like, Sacramento's offense, that's not going to work in the playoffs. Turns out it did. It actually really did really well in, in, in round one. Right, well, uh, you yeah. know what? No? <laughs> I mean... So, so uh, maybe I'm just remembering some of those games, but... Well, no, I mean, the the Kings, like, pushed that series to seven because their defense was really... Right, that, yeah, their, that is true. And, and like, the, the things that they were doing in the regular season that worked did continue to work in terms of just, like, pushing the pace. Like, mm. they continued to run like they played super fast and so the the adage that like the game really slows down in the playoffs and these teams that thrive in transition can't thrive that way in the playoffs was I would say proven mostly false by the Kings but in the half court their offense was really bad in that series like it was their ability to actually level up on defense that allowed them to make that a series against the Warriors and I don't know that this version of the Pacers is actually capable of that well uh, yeah now I'm thinking about that series again and I it's just a lot of looting and Draymond bullying Sabonis <laughs> to the point where they stopped him at one point. But they also did a really good job guarding him in general. That really cut off a lot of their offense. I thought their guards were actually still okay in that series. The, I remember. But yeah, Fox was really good and Monk had his moments for yeah. sure. But I mean, Herder was absolutely terrible. Yeah. And the, basically, I mean, in large part because of Herder, mm-hmm. but also in part because of Sabonis and some of his limitations, the, the stuff that they built their offense around, like especially just the DHO stuff, yeah. completely dried up. Right. The Pacers, and I know we could probably say this for like 15 teams between now and February, but if there were ever an OG trade on the horizon, like the Pacers are a team, you can't find many teams where he fits and I think like optimizes that team yeah. better than Indiana. Because, I agree. Or like, Pascal. Or Pascal for that matter too. But I like going into the season, before this Pacers team had played a game, I was already saying I think they were like a good forward away mm-hmm. from being like fringe contenders. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you could plug either one of those guys in. I think... OG maybe a little more seamlessly just because Halliburton can continue to dominate the ball in the offense the way he does. And Siakam being there maybe takes a little bit away from that. But I think either one are good fits there. And I think I think OG is just a bit of a more seamless fit there. But, I mean, you could argue Siakam arguably makes more of an impact just by, based by being a yeah, better player. Yeah, and Halliburton's a really good off-ball player. Mm-hmm. And I actually think getting another creator in there who could like take a little bit of the pressure off him in terms of having to orchestrate everything would be pretty beneficial like I, sure. I i don't think i mean either again yeah either one of them i think would be really good fits but i don't think just because you know pascal is gonna command more touches on offense that it would be any worse of a fit than 
OG. Yeah, um, I'm also with you. If they make a trade for a, a 3 and D uh, wing, that's like actually good. Not just like like they can't trade for like Jay Crowder and and make me feel differently no. about this team. Yeah. Uh, but I I do think that they probably squeak in. It'll probably be play in though. Uh, Orlando Magic. We we got to go a little quicker. Orlando Magic at ten and five. They for real or not? They're the inverse. They're the inverse of the Pacers, right? Yeah, like, they are. Yeah, dominant defense. I mean, in spite of what they did to the Raptors the other night, yeah, uh, pretty tough sledding on offense. So, if you're choosing between Indiana and Orlando, like you know, what do you believe in more? A team that is airtight defensively, or a team that is pretty much unstoppable offensively? Orlando and, did just wreck them on the weekend too. Not that we should be taking you know too much from a small sample, but. There were one matchup, I think, so far this season. Orlando handled them pretty easily. Yeah, but it's also like, you can say, okay, defense is going to hold up better in the playoffs. We're talking about who gets in. So really, if we're talking about these teams, it's like, what's going to hold up better in like a play-in game? Although the Magic right now are obviously in the top six, but <laughs> it's, it's tough to say what wins in the play-in in the NBA today. And uh, I don't Patrick really know. Patrick Beverly. But, uh, Diardo Rosen. Uh, <laughs> Especially <true>. in combination. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah. I, I kind of think Orlando's going to make it. Yeah, I, they I, look solid to me. I feel like, you know, with, with them also, I guess maybe it's possible. It, it feels more unlikely to me, actually, that Orlando would make a trade than that Indiana would. Mm. But I, I guess, believe in their offense a little bit more than I believe in the Pacers' defense right now. Yeah, Just because you. in spite of the lack of shooting, they still have, like, a lot of creation and I think they're number one in the league in rim volume. They're just relentless, man. Like they just yeah. drive and drive and bully you and get to the like get to the rim and it, you know they sort of have those kind of workarounds for the lack of spacing. And I, I feel like they can eke out enough offense to to you know make their defense really uh, carry the day. And more shot creators too, right? Like as even though Indiana's offense statistically is way better and runs smoother and all that. Orlando actually has, you know, much more shot creation, which if if you do believe that the game will bog down at all in a play-in or the playoffs in that time of the year when you need a guy who can just go create a shot for himself and get a bucket in the areas that defenses want you to take shots from, the Magic have more of those guys than Indiana does. Yeah. The, the Magic's too, it's like they, they're running a really deep rotation, um, but it's all young guys, basically. They have one guy over 30. Joe Ingles is randomly there. All right, uh, shouts to Mark Bartlestein for, for getting that two-year deal done with Joe yeah. Ingles. Jinglin' Joe. Uh, he, they have three players in the rotation uh, who are over 25. Uh, they're Mo Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, and... Um, Gary Harris. Gary Harris. They're all coming off the bench, too. So it's like, they're really doing it really well. They're, they're, they're deep. Like, they're second in the league in terms of just their points off the bench. It's like 45 per game. Uh, and that bench is also outscoring opponents generally when they play too. And they just got a win over Denver. And they and Jalen Suggs, man. I mean, <laughs> Jalen Suggs, man. I, I was, I'm really happy for him because he really has not had anything to be like super happy about in his career to date. <laughs> and so, no, seriously, like in I, his I, NBA career, yeah, yes, NBA career for sure, for sure. But like, you know, he he is still a talented young player, and I feel like. You know, he's, he's been finding his lane, and it's for he, young guys to buy into defense this much this man. early in their career. It's cool, man. Easily a top five backcourt defender in the NBA so far. This okay. Season. Easily. Yeah. Uh, like, point of attack, switching on to bigger players, guarding the post, on ball, in help. He's been a monster. Yeah. Like, I, 
that game against the Raptors. Yeah. And I had yeah. watched like a bunch of Magic games already this season, so I knew that he'd been excellent defensively. But that was like he blew up like fifteen to twenty Raptors possessions just with his activity level. And yeah. From I mean, from the opening tip of that game, it felt like he had something to prove. He had a, a vendetta, which is like. I don't know. It's always funny to me, like the idea of a, J- a Jalen Suggs revenge game against the Raptors. <laughs> yeah, uh, for not taking him after he supposedly had a terrible workout, but uh, he, <laughs> they he must have a, not run through. He had a point to prove, and, and he proved it. Yeah, no, I, I, I love I love taking Alex Caruso with the fifth overall pick. All right, we got ninety <laughs> seconds left to talk about the Houston Rockets, seven and six, uh, after a one point loss to the Lakers, a one possession loss to the Warriors, and a James Harden step back and one loss to the Clippers. They're still seven and six. They're fourth in defensive rating. This is after being 29th last year, 30th the year before that, and 27th uh, three seasons ago. They're really great at keeping opponents out of the paint. We got like 30 seconds each for both of you. Are they going to make the playoffs, yes or no? Is this real? I think it's real. I think they're solid, but I think the West is too deep for them to make that jump right now. I think they'll be solid and in the picture all year. I don't think they'll end up being one of the eight teams in the playoffs in the West. Yeah, I agree. I I think Shangun's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that gives me some hope, especially just like his two-man game with Fred. That gives me some hope that the offense can remain pretty solid. I just don't, I think the defense is going to come back to earth. It's been, like they've been benefiting a little bit from shooting luck. And I just don't think they're like a top five defense. I think that's going to pull them down eventually. Play-in, yes. Playoffs, they probably know. I was going to say, I, I would love to see them in a play-in. It's, this is an easy team to root for for me. Um, but uh, all right. Thank you both of you for Joining us on the show, we have to take uh, another break before we bring in Dennis Schroeder. So I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Center Radio Network. opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsline Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be... Well, actually, no, not continue to be joined. I'm sorry. I'm so used to saying that, but I'm joined now by co-host Blake Murphy. What's going on? We're, we're going to interview Dennis Schroeder uh, when we get him on the line shortly, and we'll cut to him. But, uh, Blake, how are you doing, man? Big win last night. Yeah, very big win. Very fun one. A uh, lot of, I mean, <laughs> some of the bad stuff. They did get down double digits again, yeah, and they course. did have to work extra hard to make their way back. But nice to see a night where the offense is clicking, and, and that is an Indiana Pacers defense that is comfortable letting you get going and that yeah. can be helpful. I, I guess my biggest question coming out of that game, because obviously there are a ton of positives, both individual and, and team wise. Um, but eighth time in 10 games, they fall down double digits. Is this finally the time we see some carryover between, Hey, did the comeback got out of the hole, erase the mistakes. Now let's not do that next game. Chicago comes in tomorrow, really struggling. And they're a team that, you know, especially with Zach Levine up in the, his status up in the air uh, to play in that one. He's a that's a team you you kind of want to punch in the mouth like you did um, with you know who who did they do that to Detroit? Oh yeah, L- listen, I, I would feel a lot of satisfaction doing that to the Bulls because obviously I think the Bulls definitely feel quite confident about playing against the Raptors. Um, you know, just based on what's happened earlier this year, based on what happened in the play-in as well, uh, based on the fact that Demar obviously has a lot of familiarity with still a lot of the guys here, but. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the slow start's interesting to me because I'm just like, watching it yesterday, it was just like, come on, guys. Like, I think my first tweet at night was just yikes. It was no context, just yikes. But the context was the Raptors fell down 10 to 2 right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think. On five field goal attempts for the Pacers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, on one hand, you would want to say, like, maybe it's the starting lineup and that's not really working and that's why they're getting into a deficit. But I don't really feel like that's the case. Um, no, the it, starting lineup still has like pretty solid numbers. Yeah. Like not the best starting lineup in the league, but sure, anytime yeah. you have OG Pascal and Scotty on the floor together, things are going really well yeah. for the most part. Um, I think the interesting rotation and like starting pattern thing last night was that for the first time we didn't see that late late first quarter, early second quarter be a problem. I don't I don't know how much you guys talked about that in the in the first segment, but two pretty important rotation tweaks uh, that I saw in the game. Did you guys cover that in the the first hour? We covered a little bit, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, one is Otto Porter being in there. We, you and I talked about it the other day, um, you know, question mark as to why he's not being used. And even if it's the answer is like, well, we're leaning developmentally, you know, that's obviously not something they're doing throughout the entire rotation. Uh, so once again, Otto comes in, things look a little smoother in those transitional lineups. They're now five and two when he plays real minutes in a game. Um, so that was encouraging. And then the other thing was they didn't leave any individual starter on an island with a whole bench unit. Mm. Now, the byproduct of that was that OG, Pascal, and Scotty played 36, 38, and 39 minutes, and yeah. the rotation didn't go 10 deep. So that's probably not something that you do every night. That's probably not something that you do on the second night of a back-to-back. Certainly, if the first game doesn't go in a way that you rest everyone for the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, that's one that'll be harder to maintain, I think. But I did like that, you know, it wasn't Scotty on an island with four bench pieces that don't fit that well together. Um, you know, OG was with them for a, a chunk of it. You know, there was a, a Pascal and Jakob with three bench players, chunk of it. Um, I, I think, you know, as much as they can without shrinking the rotation too much, keeping a second starter there is probably for the best. Yeah, I agree. Darko did a really good job managing the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, joining us on the line to discuss that game and more is Dennis Schroeder making his weekly appearance on the Raptor Show. What's going on, Dennis? Congrats on the win, man. That was a big one last night. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was a big-time win yesterday. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want to start with the the last play. Darko calls timeout. You guys are down one, and he's got to drop something good uh, to obviously get you guys um, up ahead. And, and the play was for Scotty to get the ball in the post, uh, a little fake handoff to Pascal. The the defense bites, and he gets downhill for the dunk. Take us into that timeout. Uh, what's Darko like in that huddle, and um, what are you guys thinking about and preparing about uh, for that final play? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was the timeout. You know, Coach did a great job of drawing, uh, drawing up the play. Um, and everybody, you know, listening because it was intense. You know, we went back and forth a little bit in the game. And, um, I mean, Darko did a great job just putting people in the right places. And, um, I mean, Scotty, you know, finished it off uh, with the end one. And, um, I mean, that was just, a, you know, a, a team effort we did yesterday. Um, great moving the ball. Just everybody just um, staying locked in. And, um, yeah, we needed that one. So, obviously, that, you know, the, the high elbow DHOs are something you guys are doing more of. In this case, Indy kind of bites. Two guys go to the middle thinking Pascal's going to get the ball on the handoff, and that's what gives Scotty the, the lane to kind of go right. 
Um, when Pascal is having a game like that, or any teammate is having a game like that, um, what is it like to play off of that? Like, like Pascal's drawing two in the post every time, or, or back when you were playing with LeBron, you know, what his post-ups would do to a defense. How, how does it, you know, change what you're doing? And just what is it like to play with someone who has it going to that degree? I mean, it's always great. You know, the attention is uh, to that player, but uh, I may... I think it makes everybody else, you know, um, have to make a decision or, you know, have to create for others or be aggressive because, I mean, when Pascal Siakam got it in the post and he got it going like that, people was going to bite, you know, and um, coming from the top, it's going to be two guys on him and then it's going to be one guy, you know, open in the corner or, you know, on the 45. So I think we did a great job of just um, keep moving it and, um, you know, he did force anything. He was just, you know, aggressive in the system, um, did a great job of pushing the ball as well and um, got transition uh, layups. And um, I think that's is going to be really tough to, you know, to beat us if we play in that way. Yeah. Well, I, I actually looked at the numbers because, as you mentioned, one of those exact sequences in the fourth quarter happened. Pascal was posting. The help came from the top. That was your man. And he kicked it out to you for the three. I think that was mm -hmm. after the Pacers went up seven. And then another play where Pascal drove, um, the help came off of OG in the corner. He kicked it to OG for the three as well. So I looked it up. Um, you have 22 assists to Pascal in the season. That's the second most to any other player. Number one is Jakob, obviously. You and Jakob in the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. You got 23 assists to Jakob. Uh, and in terms of players who has assisted you, uh, Pascal has assisted you 16 times. The next closest player who has assisted you uh, the most is eight from Scotty. So you and Pascal clearly have like a nice little two-man thing going on right now. Have you guys had conversations between the two of you in terms of like, hey, you know, I, I like the ball here. You know, when you go here, I'm going to be here. You know, like what are those conversations like? Because it's clearly working in terms of the assist back and forth between you two. Yeah, I mean, it makes my job easy, you know, if we kicking the ball ahead and people are just aggressive in the open, open court and transition. Um, getting stops and then, you know, I want to do the same thing to OG as well. I talked to him yesterday, just uh, when we get a stop, just pass it ahead and it's mm -hmm. going to be tough to guard those guys, you know, OG, Scotty, um, and Pascal in the open court, one-on-one, -on -one is, uh, it's either a foul or, you know, a bucket. So, I mean, uh, me and Pascal, you know, I've been talking about it, try to get, you know, everybody on the same page. And then when he got it in the post, um, and I'm ready to shoot the ball, you know, or drive it. When Once he kicks it out, um, I just got to be ready and make the right decision. And, I mean, I put so much, you know, work into my shot um, that I'm trusting it. And um, I just uh, got to keep shooting it. On the other side of that game last night, uh, obviously it was a high-scoring one. Tyrese Halliburton put up some real big numbers. I, I thought, you know, you guys and OG especially did a pretty good job trying to slow him down, but he is on uh, a pretty high level right now. What have you seen from Halliburton's growth and, you know, how tough was that for you guys defensively last night? I mean, they still lost. We got yeah. the job done, but he is... Uh, he's, no, but he's uh, one hell of a player, man. I mean, I played him in the in the summer as well. Um, he didn't do that, that same, you know, he's not, he's not that type of player when he plays with Indiana, Indiana, he's just on a different level and he's just, you know, um, wanting to show there, you know, uh, just having fun. You can tell like he, he's smiling, you know, and he like have a good pass or he, I mean, he's the, he's the engine for them and the head of the snake. 
and he's doing a great job. And, you know, he's uh, up there in the conversations for, for you know, MVP right now because, I mean, he's he's playing like it. And, um, I mean, it's always happy to see, you know, young guys uh, coming into this league and have a, such an impact like that. It's, um, it's always great. And he's, um, yeah, he's going to he's gonna be um, a great player in this league and uh, a superstar in this league for sure. Yeah, Dennis, I, I guess I didn't, appreciate the fact that yeah you guys did beat them uh obviously as part of uh your run to the world cup i think that was the semifinals, right and then you guys went on to beat uh serbia in the final as and well and then someone else beat usa in the in the bronze medal game too oh I think yeah it was canada I, I, I think i heard about that one i think uh yeah <laughs> cordy herbert might have also played a role uh, in that team once upon a time um actually i was gonna ask you too because I, I saw a lot of people point this out on twitter after the final shot went up, uh, I think Buddy Heald shot it from like 40. It was open, but, you know, it's still pretty far out. Shot misses. You guys got the rebound. Raptors win. And somebody pointed out that you turned around and, and, and looked at Tyrese. Gave him a little point. So we, we got we got to follow yeah. up. What happened there? Was was there like I talking mean, back and uh, forth? What happened? Yeah, it was a little, you know, competitive uh, like the, the game is, you know. Uh, you get emotional, uh, competitive, uh, a lot of edgy, you know, plays and... Um, I mean, me and him going back and forth, you know, uh, since I think two years when he got to Indiana. Um, we had oh. a game there with the Lakers and, uh, you know, he was competing. Uh, people was talking smack, you know, going back and forth. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's a two-way street, though, you know, don't get me wrong. But, uh, I mean, it's always the competitive spirit in me and in him. And um, uh, he was talking when there was up as well. And uh, I had to talk back when we got the win finally. So, um that's that's about it. Just being competitive and everybody just enjoying uh, being out there and um, be compete competing. You know, for a win. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I gotta I gotta ask you another follow up then because um, not about Tyrese, just in general. What, what's your process for trash talk? Like, does someone have to talk to you first before you respond? Yeah. 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 I'm. Uh, I mean, for me, it's, I'm a compete. You know, on the highest level, try to you know beat the the point guard who I'm playing against, uh, try to, you know, outplay him. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I remember when I got to the league, you know, and, and back in the day it was now the league got a little bit, you know, not softer, but like a little bit more sensitive about, you know, talking. Um, I seen, I think Giannis dunking on somebody and he just, you know, was flexing like he always do and mm -hmm. got a technical and got kicked out for that. So, yeah. I mean, back in the day, it was never like that. But um, at the end of the day, if um, people are talking to me, I'm I'm not, never going back down. And um, I love it when people talk to me because I'm a you know talk back, and then um, it's going to be competitive the rest of the game. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, you you said um, your your vet back in the day was was, was Jeff Teague, right? Just just yeah. just listening to the podcast, I'm sure he <laughs> there was a lot of trash talk, even in practices <laughs> no, and stuff. You but know. He, he, he he was never like that though. Oh, I gotta say, okay. like right. I mean, he uh, now that he is not a basketball player no more, he opens up. You know, yeah, like he you. he's he's telling stories. Um, but I mean, trash talking sometimes here and there when you know somebody talks to him or talk to him. Um, but he was not like a trash talker going out there and just talk smack like Pat Bath right now. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got you. he he was not the type of he was not that type of player. Yeah. Do you, I, I know you and Jakob have said you sometimes communicate in German. Do you trash talk in German sometimes too? And and another player looks at you and like doesn't, knows you're trash talking, but doesn't know what you're saying? 
Uh, we had a situation yesterday. TJ McConnell, you know, I was talking to him. <laughs> I was talking to uh, to uh, Yak in German, but he tried to listen. Like, he couldn't understand it. And he looked around. He was like, <laughs> there was a funny moment. And then uh, we scored out of it, too. So um, that was uh, pretty pretty impressive and pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's always great, you know, that you can communicate without people knowing. And um, I think... Uh, we use it as our, you know, advantage for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. We, we want to move away a little bit just from the games. Um, hey, I want to let you know. So I, I called coach. I called Levo Kalin. I called him yesterday. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. He was, uh, nice. okay. I texted him. It was like 10 p.m. over there. I know he's in like his 70s almost, but he's like anytime yeah. for Dennis, man. Any questions you got about for Dennis. Sure. So I called him just to get a little more background about your story. And he had a lot of great things to say. Um, but I think one thing he pointed out to me was it's really important if having as someone who coached you, obviously from the, a very young age, he told me it's very important if you want to get the best out of Dennis, you need to empower Dennis and you need to make him feel really involved and make him not the leader, not the go-to guy, but really, really involved in whatever project, whatever team. And I'm thinking about what you did with Germany this past summer and then what you did or what you're doing with the Raptors right now. Um, can you speak to that idea that your coach was talking about? How much, you know, it changes a player's game when you really put the trust and, and keep them involved? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reason why Mel uh, Malachi is playing great <laughs> right now in this role because I think coach doing a great job of just telling him, listen, like, we want you to run the team. When you get in there, be aggressive, you know, just don't think about anything. And if you have that trust, you know, from your starting PG or from Scotty or from Pascal Siakam and your coach, you're just going out there and play, you know. And um, I think with the national team, I got, you know, like freedom um, to do whatever, but I'm still, the, you know, like one of the hardest working guys out there. And um, I mean, coach is right um, because Coach Darko, he gives me um he gives me freedom and he tells me yo you got to be aggressive i want you to be you know the the germany dennis but at the end of the day we got so much talent in this room as well or in the in the locker room that i want to you know um make sure we involve everybody and um we playing team basketball and um we still figuring it out i mean it's 13 games in i believe and um we uh game by game we're going to be better and um i think we just Got to keep, you know, keep getting better every single day, every single practice, every single game. And then um, we, we're going to be uh, really good and hard to stop. Yeah. Um, this is a great point about Malachi, man. Happy for Malachi yesterday. You got the, you got the chain as well, you know? Sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. think Malachi got the, the chain game, before man. you got the chain, by the way. I ain't got no chain yet, but yeah. I mean, I'm always happy for, you know, uh, people who are stepping up. I think Mel... He did a great job just coming in, hitting two threes, yeah. then the floater, I believe. Um, I mean, he he changed the game for us because we was down, you know, uh, when I got out. And then I think we got the lead um, uh, when he got in. So uh, really happy to see it. And I told him he got to, you know, keep stacking those games and uh, keep helping us. And if the bench is, you know, um, always helping us getting the lead or keeping the lead, um, it's going to be really, really hard to stop us. Yeah, we even saw more and more of what Malachi and, and playing alongside you in those two point guard lineups. We saw Darko yeah. put in Malachi into the game for his defense as well. Uh, that's yeah. all great to see. And, and his swagger does look different, man. I got to tell you, like we, we've seen Malachi's whole man. career. You know, he, he's yeah, been kind of yeah, low yeah, on yeah. confidence, but this year it's different. Even the way he was posing with the chain. 
the other question I want to ask you <laughs> from this real. conversation yeah. with Li Vu is, uh, he, he said, you know, um, you, you were very emotional uh, towards teammates growing up. You always wanted to win. It always came from a place of competitiveness, but you were never afraid to confront guys um, on, and be the leader on the team and, and sort of put them in positions and challenge them to, to be better. So I want to ask you, A, are you still the same way? Is that still the same emotion, or have you found a different way to to channel that with, with your with your players now? Obviously, you know, being thirty and ten years in the league now. If you if you if you've seen the the national uh, against <laughs> Slovenia, and I got into it with Daniel Tice uh, yeah. and the coach, of course, I'm gonna keep people accountable. Um, but I wouldn't keep people accountable if I wouldn't, you know, try to do my best every single night. And I mean. I, I'm gonna raise my voice if I think somebody is not, you know, um, doing their best or they can do better. I'm gonna try to empower them to give them more, you know, power and more energy to come out and say, okay, I got, I got you guys, you know. And um, I wish when I ever, you know, do that or in that situation that people come into me because I think it's um, it's always a two-way street. It's always, you know, for us getting better, uh, get, getting better as a team and seeing the you know the bigger picture and i think when mel you know mel came one time to me in the game he was like yo be aggressive you know like and i mean i want everybody you know the last man to the best person come and say yo listen i need you to be better i need you to do this you know and it's better for us as a team i think people keep keep people accountable as a, a whole group um it's great, and um, I didn't see that too much in the NBA. And if we do that, I think we can, you know, reach a lot of things. Yeah, I, I liked your point, too, because you, you will talk to everybody on the team. Like, I think last play of the first half yesterday, um, you guys gave up a corner three. I think Miles Turner got a corner three to, to end the first half. And I think yeah. you had a chat with, with Scotty just about that exact play at the very end there um, in terms of the rotations yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So you will talk to everybody, you know, and that's how you keep people accountable. You can't treat the 15th man different the way you treat from the top guy or the second guy, you know, so, yeah. And, yeah, I, I believe in that. And I think uh, Coach Darko, I, took, I mean, I had so many talks with him as well. He believes in it too. And, I mean, I think that's the reason why Toronto got me as well, you know, and uh, they try to change the system a little bit, got the right coach for it, you know, and um, I'm a team player um, and try to bring everybody together. And, uh, of course, with that summer, what we had as a team, uh, was amazing, and um, we just tried to build, you know, uh, more here in Toronto. All right. Uh, we got to get you out, but two more questions uh, just on watching your vlog. If everyone hasn't seen already on YouTube, uh, make sure you go watch Dennis's vlogs. Make sure you watch your wife's vlogs too, Joelle's vlogs, yeah, man. Like, yeah. nothing happens in your life without it happening on the vlog, apparently. Uh, Joelle is right now recording as well. <laughs> like, y'all, y'all guys can't see him, but... He's recording right Oh, there. yeah? What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, uh, like, comment, and subscribe, all right? Okay. Uh, one thing. So, from last week's vlog, maybe, uh, Alfonso Davies showed up? Yeah. Uh, yeah in yeah, the yeah, Pistons yeah. game. Yeah, Alfonso Davies, the rest of Team Canada was there. Um, what's your connection with Alfonso, man? Are you guys, like, are you guys friends? Like, what's what's going on? How did you guys meet? Uh, we met, uh, we met uh, like, Five years ago, I think, or oh, four wow. years ago, um, when he first got to uh, to Germany, um, he played in Wolfsburg. That's like thirty yeah. minutes from my hometown. Um, we watched him play there because he had a hell of a hype. You know, he came from the MLS, and yeah. uh, we was just supporting and uh, watched the game. And then from there on, you know, we got connected. 
And every summer when I'm in Munich, you know, I get to see him um, getting, you know, dinner, um, talk about life, you know, and um, he's a great guy. Uh, I think he's one of the best guys, you know, in, 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 in soccer as a person and, of course, uh, on the court. And um, I mean, always, always um, great seeing him. And um, I mean, I always appreciate that he's, you know, showing love. Yeah. Well, I, I got to ask you then, who, who's quicker between you two? A hundred meter race, who's winning between you and Alfonso Davies? That's a tough one. You guys are both rapid. Yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's pretty fast, but um, I'm always counting on me. Yeah. You know that, like I always, okay. but he's, 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 he's up there. It's going to be like a, like a real, uh, it's going to be a race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need to, we need to do that one on the vlog. All right. Last one. <laughs> I was just watching this before going on air, man. You said, so apparently in the Orlando game, the bus got delayed to the arena because four Raptors got stuck in an elevator for like 10 minutes. Yeah, not, not stuck though, but uh, the elevator wasn't working. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Um, All right. We tried to press it for like 10 minutes and the elevator was off. And uh, okay. we couldn't, we couldn't um, go down. It was like on the 16th floor, so we didn't try to take the stairs either. Mm, so yeah. Um, we had to wait for like 10 minutes to get down. Um, that's the, that's probably the reason we lost because we wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Dennis. Uh, we'll see you back uh, at the game tomorrow. Uh, Raptors play Chicago and, uh, we'll talk to you again on the show next week. All right. Perfect, man. Thank you guys. Dennis Schroeder. Honestly, a hundred meter race between him and, uh, Alfonso Davies would be sick. I actually I'm need to see Alfonso that. Davies Byron is the only football kid I have. Really? Yeah. Wow. A friend was in Germany and brought it back for me. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Because he, you know, the next kid that he'll go or, or get will be probably be Real Madrid. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I don't have to tell anybody in, in Canada how good Alfonso Davies is. I thought is. about wearing it in today, knew, knowing you were probably going to bring that up with oh. Dennis. But I can't. I look, I mean, I look weird in a lot of stuff. But, uh, oh. yeah, a soccer kit, I don't think it's the look yeah. for me. All right. Well, what, what, what if we bring in the producer and co-host Alex Wong, who's tapping his feet? A man who... Uh, has a lot of washed feet and a lot of uh, soccer kits as well, man. A lot of what? <laughs> Never mind. It's a banter pot topic that was that was so stupid. But uh, yeah, well, you know, no, we should do it. We should do, do a so we should race? do a soccer kit day some sometime, man. I'm 100 percent down. Oh yeah, I'm talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I'll do right the now. whole week. Well, yeah, week, month, whatever. Yeah, no, uh, this this one. I, okay, um, let's let's get Blake's rankings on this too. Like basketball, football, hockey. Uh, what did I miss? Baseball? baseball, yeah, four jerseys. Which easiest and hardest to rock? Well, you have soccer a in this one too. As a yeah, civilian, soccer. yeah, yeah. Um, easiest. I think to, to wear. I think hockey's easiest. Yeah, really? I'm finding that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean basketball. You've got to have the guns out. Like you, yeah. you don't want to be uh, like Norman Powell coming off a shoulder injury where you got the full sleeves underneath. Like I don't think that's a, a great look just walking around. <laughs> you can't be uh, UCLA Kevin Love. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then baseball is just they they're just not that night like the the upside isn't there really yeah like baseball's that, uh, a little bit too like specific like yeah. you're in a baseball jersey no like, but it's like, kind of what nice, are you doing though. it's just like a old, it's just a big t really no it's got yeah. the button up and stuff yeah there are like right. some look i have like a an old school pirates roberto clemente that is a pullover jersey oh and that is like good that's kind of hard like you yeah. just wear like a sweater basically uh and it was their official jersey at one point but yeah for the like the jays had the baby blue ones that you could pull over as well for a little while yeah um those ones you could do, but I still yeah. think a hockey is just like generally easier to yeah. work into the into the day to day. American football is not that bad. I don't own a lot of American I don't know. football I think, I think basketball is the toughest as a civilian, right? Like it if, is, if it's yeah. the summer, if you're hooping, if you're at the beach, 
Sure. Yeah. But like, you had a yeah. music festival. Yeah. 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 If you're right, Coachella 2030. <laughs> damn, that's coming up. Yeah. Um, damn, yeah. Well. But I don't know how you just like, especially in Canada, like, you wearing your basketball jerseys anytime? My rule is basketball jerseys. Only the basketball. Basketball jerseys for hooping. Yeah. I feel like basketball jerseys look best when you're hooping. Yeah. And then as a, you know. Which is a funny thing to extrapolate then because like. It's also cultural. Guys. Yeah. I can only wear the football jersey when I'm playing football. <laughs> when I'm on the gridiron. No. I, I am looking for a vintage New York Jets jersey, so okay. maybe a little wink. You're looking for, for a Nick Kiprios jersey, bro. I, I, I have people, sources, working on a Nick Kiprios jersey. Even though Kipper, every single day. I know you played for the North Bay Centennials, <laughs> man. I'm contacting them. Yeah. Yo, that's wild. No, <laughs> if the St. John's Maple Leafs still existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, what's interesting about baseball to me is like, so all the other kids are like, <laughs> what's four, interesting four, four. about you talking about baseball? No, it's it's for like the form of the sport, right? Like for yes. basketball, you need the sleeves off because you're shooting. Yeah. Uh, for football, you need a big baggy jersey so you could put pads on it. Yep. Same thing for hockey. For baseball, why does it have buttons? Like, how does that relate to the sport? Blake might got to tell us this too. Like, why are they still wearing belts and stuff? Yeah, Wouldn't they, they run a little faster belt? in shorts? Uh, well, the, I know they have to shorts, slide. Yeah, yeah the issue slide, with shorts yeah. is you, you'd cut your leg. Now, look, someone who slides at a major league player's level uh-huh. is going to do that without scraping up the front of their leg. Yeah, yeah, but like, if I'm sliding in a yeah. slow pitch tournament, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have my legs scraped up. Okay, but why belts and buttons though? Like it's a formal. I mean, part of it is just the tradition of it. Like okay. it's same, yeah. it's the same with like, you know, like in baseball, the coach is in uniform, which is really funny compared to other sports. Yeah. Um, although basketball's kind of getting there now with how just like the little warm ups, everyone is. The yeah, everyone's in, a, everyone's in a quarter zip. No, no. The funniest thing about basketball, the coaches is like the eleven assistants on the Raptors all have to drip. <laughs> they all have to yeah. drip gold when it's the in season tournament. <laughs> yeah. It's like James Wade wakes up. He's like, can Even I? The can I just staff. pick my own? Can I just pick my own wardrobe today? Even the PR like, staff was in gold. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, right. That was that's hilarious. Right. Josh that's, Sue dripping yeah. gold. <laughs> no, Phil Summers was dripping, man. They're like, yeah. no, Garrett Temple. Interview, but you can drip gold. By the way, yeah. Speaking of the wardrobe, like yeah. Shasta Garrett Temple, yeah. Like I've been noticing the trend now because you know all the fit picks. Like his commitment to wearing the full like blazer, mm, yeah, dress pants, right. like it's a full commitment. I tweeted this yesterday in reply, just like being nonsense replies to the Raptors account, being like, I need Garrett to let me know, like, what is the garment bag? What is the process for carrying multiple suits for multiple cities mm. with you? Um, like I, I've had to pack a suit before, but you put it in the suit bag, you have to fold it over, you yeah. have to put it in checked luggage, and then you almost definitely have to iron or get it like pressed when yeah. you land. Now he's an NBA player. He could probably afford to just be like, rush press this mm-hmm. immediately yeah. for me. But I wonder, like, what is, is he rolling around with, like, a carry-on steamer? Yeah. Or is he doing mm. Eric Smith replied and was like, ah, oh, just hang it on the back of the door and have, like, run a hot shower. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to be the that wasteful. hot shower um, I don't want to be that wasteful. So I, I want to know what the whole process is here for Garrett Temple. What, what yeah. Temple needs is a second apron, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yo, no. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? We're talking about bags. Giannis ain't got no bag, but Garrett Temple got a garment bag. By the way. Hard. Uh, Matt Devlin just texted in yeah. and said in the in the mid seventies the White Sox went to shorts for a while and it did not go well. Well, interesting. Another bad idea by me. Devlin in studio joining us tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's a, no, that's <laughs> on a good reminder, idea. Devlin. Please that's be a here good at, idea. Please be here at two fifteen. And honestly, we're talking Garrett Temple. We'll probably have him on the show as well tomorrow as well. But anyway, we're we're gonna take a quick break. I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsline Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I am joined now, finally, by my co-host, Blake Murphy, uh, Alex Wong. Alex, take over the reins, please. Sorry, it's been a while. Um, yeah, so a couple of items from around the NBA. First thing, last night, the San Antonio Spurs were ah. hosting the Los Angeles Clippers. And, you know, noted public enemy Kawhi Leonard was back in the building, still getting booed by the fans. And, yeah, midway through the game as Kawhi was shooting free throws, here's a clip of Greg Popovich grabbing the mic and addressing uh, the crowd. Excuse me for a second. Pops on the mic. stop all the booing and let these guys play? It's not all class. It's not who we are. Knock off the booing. Pop telling the fans to lay off Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, God, the little co- oh, at the end was hard, man. <laughs> uh, what was first, that body first, sports? First of all, how are we feeling uh, about Greg Popovich interrupting mid-game to tell the fans to stop booing Kawhi? That part is crazy. Yeah, like I, I I'm honestly surprised he didn't get a technical foul. Like I, I tried to look <laughs> yeah. up. I can't, I can't find an actual rule about it. Yeah, but like you would think there would be. I guess you would yeah. never think it would happen, so why would you put a rule in? Uh-huh. But, like, hey, the coach can't grab a live mic during play That's and hard. talk. Um, so I'm so, a little surprised he didn't get a tech. But also, Will, sorry to you go this way with it, but uh-huh. Alex, you're a wrestling guy. If you ask a crowd not to boo, yeah. what are they going to do? Boo back way more. Yeah. So was this, this is my second question. You know, did Pop have an ulterior motive? Was he actually trying to get the crowd to boo Kawhi Leonard, public enemy number one, even harder? Boo this man! <laughs> what is Greg Popovich's age? Yeah, he's 74, right? Like, no, nah, come on. Like, he's coached in, like... He's coached in the 20, ABA. 30, 40, <laughs> he's, he's 40 coached, years, maybe? He's coached in the Army. Like, obviously he knows that this is strange. This is not the first time that he's had a player booed. It's not the first time Kawhi's come back to San Antonio. And he's been booed. So I'm really curious as to what actually specifically. Like, like why last night? This? Like why last night? It wasn't like yeah. LeBron coming back to Cleveland for the first time after leaving Miami type. Well, I, I also think that like, look, Spurs fans, Kawhi left them in a way where it was like, okay, we should probably boo this guy. You know, sure. like, despite the championship, I could see why people would be super upset. Yeah. Toronto, there's obviously, Kawhi's not going to be booed in Toronto ever. Yeah, boo R.C. Buford for the trade package. Yeah. 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 And, like, th- this is the thing. Like, I mean, Raptors fans have dealt with this in the past, too, right? Where, like, if, if, if you want to boo Damon, if you want to boo Vince. like We what booed a- Goran Dragic for multiple years. Okay, but he asked you, for that you, one. You, 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 you instigated that. Goran Dragic. Well, I also booed from the 600s. Goran Dragic that. also posted a picture of his team winning the Eurobasket International Tournament to chirp the Raptors. Oh. The Toronto Raptors of the NBA with yeah. mostly American players and then everyone scattered are not allowed to enter the European championships. Bench, talk, bench players talking like starters. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Board off talking like talent. <laughs> That's why I said to JR. Uh, uh, SN party recap coming oh, soon. But brother. yeah. So yep. Pop said after Hard. the game, he said, Anybody who knows anything about sports, you don't poke the bear. Mm, okay. uh, Kawhi was asked if he was bothered by this, and he said, quote, they're probably going to boo me the rest of my career. They're one of the best fans in the league and very competitive. Once I step on this court, they show that they're going for the other side. But when I'm on the streets or going into restaurants, they show love. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting, <laughs> he's on, Derek's on fire. They're getting Kawhi. So you're just saying he's getting Kawhi and dined? <laughs> in San Antonio as well. He said, keep that same energy when I walk into the taco spots. 
Which is kind of what I imagine is. is Anyways, the funniest thing to me is like, if you were to pick the least bothered person to be booed at at a road arena, it it would (laughs) be Kawhi Leonard. So I think Kawhi was fine. I also like poking the bear with booze. I think the bear is like permanently poked because he had serious degenerative knee and quad issues and you told him he was making Mm. it up until Mm. he asked out. Well, you you remember even Tony Parker at the time, he's like, well, I had a quad injury, but it was much worse, and I'm back. <laughs> Remember when Danny Green came to Toronto and was like, oh, yeah, by the way, last year I was playing, th- I think it was like a torn groin. By the way, I was playing through this. Yeah. Damn, man. Yeah. Medical remember, staff malpractice. Remember when Danny Green was Kawhi Leonard's personal PR person? Everybody who wanted to ask a question of Kawhi just asked it to Danny instead. So, Danny, what does Kawhi think about when a defense reacts <laughs> so like Danny, this you to went, his pull-up? You went six for seven from three tonight, <laughs> scored 23 points in the comeback win. How's Kawhi doing? <laughs> what, what flavor did Kawhi get at Wingstop <laughs> Den- on the road? Danny, can you please hand this chain over to Kawhi Leonard? The um, funniest thing was Danny obviously had inside the green room. Then he has it now too. Yeah. Shasta Harrison Stanford too. Shasta Harrison and Jed. Uh, and now uh, on Jed as well. But um, he got pretty much every teammate on that show. Except for the got, except for Kawhi. He got head coaches on that he show. He got Kyle. Got Nav Bocci on the show. Even I was in the background of one of the shows. <laughs> But no Kawhi. No Kawhi. No, Emotional no Kawhi. damage. Yeah, not, not Kawhi. Uh, another rivalry um, that was reignited last night was between uh, Christopher Paul and uh, Scotty Foster. So uh, CP was visibly upset um, on the court arguing with Scott Foster. Got one tech. They kept talking. Got a second tech. Steve Kerr got a tech when he interviewed as well. Uh, when he intervened as well. And Chris Paul, you know, I think every NBA fan knows about the history with Scott Foster and talked about it a little bit after the game, talked about how, you know, the situation is actually personal. Um, and when he was with the Clippers, he actually needed to sit down with Scott Foster, Doc Rivers, and I think Chris Paul's dad was involved in this sit-down as well. I mean, I've talked about Scott Foster before. Like, it is really strange that aside from this, like, Chris Paul rivalry, like, Scott Foster was very visibly named in, like, all the Tim Donaghy stuff. There's a lot of calls between them and stuff. This just seems like a subplot that the NBA doesn't need. Yeah, I mean, Tom Haverstrow pulled some data on it, and it's remarkable. So Scott Foster has refereed 20 of Chris Paul's playoff games. They were favored in 15 of those, and they went 3-17 and 17 with an average loss margin of 11.2. They got blown out on average, and they were favored in 15 of those 20. Like, 20 games even is still, like, small sample by the mm-hmm. picture of, you know, big data and stuff. But it's hard not to think that there's something there with Scott Foster and his short fuse with Chris Paul with Chris Paul and probably how quickly he riles up when Scott Foster does something like we know, you know, we know that refs and players have personal relationships. We know that Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet last year blew up, not because of just Ben Taylor in that game, but a pattern of interactions he's had with Ben Taylor. Everyone's human. It's impossible to, it's like, it's not realistic to think that players and referees cannot let their personal relationships affect what's going on. They need a couple's retreat. Oh God! Like um, just some. They need like some sort of like input. activity. Input, man. Like they got to go to the spa together. They got to get some massages. Just like talk through, talking through, man. Get a coffee or something. Like I actually like the idea of them <laughs> sitting down for this like broker dinner involving Chris Paul's or Chris, it's, Chris it's Paul's be, parents. This like, is our generation's Shaq and Kobe finally sitting down for a conversation. I'll just tell you this: I've already started greasing the wheels for the sport media game on Saturday. Okay. Uh, that uh, yeah, your will, will you might have a relationship like that, like uh, Chris mm. Paul Scott Foster with with the official for that. Sportversusmedia.com. I'm kidding. I don't even know. I don't know. There's someone like we should. It's oh, Tashawn. Yeah, I saw he won the Big Brother Canada one year. Okay, yeah, Yeah. he's refing. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. 
right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell him that in his ear, and I'm going to get all the calls. I plan on filing out in 10 minutes. Do what you got to do, refs. Um, I think yeah. – I, I just think it's a bad look, especially during playoff time and some of the stats you mentioned. It's like yeah. every time you see Scott Foster listed on a game six, on a game seven, it's like, oh, like you expect something to be coming or you expect the series. He, he's literally got the nickname as the extender. To, to extend the series, I just think when when your reputation precedes you that way, it's just not a, not a good look. Yeah, I not mean, a good look, look for the NBA. I, I I think for all sports right now, it's it's more and more difficult to be an official just because of how much clips get shown and mm-hmm. um, how much there's a lot of, puts put into this. And how lip, much there's a lot of lip reading online now too. You can see what they sometimes yeah. see what the conversations are. And, and of course, like I think players have their own platforms and they they almost always blast the referees like it's sure. never like hey you know what who had a great game today scott foster yeah. having said that though um i think every league would want the story to be less and less about the officiating yeah they want to focus on the product but that's the what i'm saying the fact that you know ben taylor the fact that you know scott foster's name yeah it's not a good thing don't forget evan scott <laughs> i will never forget don't evan. Forget i've, I've done, are. done a little background check their on you, names evan. are <laughs> the double is crazy but yeah anyways that's uh that's ref gate i think tony brothers or someone should just start a podcast with tate alter and uh just change the perception <laughs> anyways um you know we always make fun of uh well not always you know we've pointed out some things about raptors game ops um you know over the last couple weeks but you know we got to be equal opportunity here um steve kerr here's a clip from steve kerr from the same game after the game complaining about uh the in arena feel of the game the team compete together, you know it, and you feel it. It's the communication, it's it's playing with force, it's playing downhill, it's playing with great communication. You can hear everybody, you know, um, talking defensively, although in this building you can't hear anything because it's like a club. It's like a it's like a South Beach club out there. What are we doing? I'm being dead serious. Like I couldn't hear anything out there. It's just the whole whole game. It's just it's thumping techno club music can we just have a basketball game anymore what the hell sorry for the rant (laughs) yeah nothing guys well i look i think at raptors games and when i would travel on the road i put i put earplugs in during the game because it's 41 times you're gonna get blasted with very loud music Mm. and some of the seats where we sit are close to speakers and things like that um i have not sat courtside very often there are a couple teams that still put media courtside and I that included I don't know if Phoenix still does it but most recent time I was there Mm -hmm. Phoenix did it Phoenix and Memphis were like two of the last Mm -hmm. ones um and I didn't notice it was it was bad there I don't know if that's a new thing or um you know Matt Ishbia comes in and and he's like no we got to make the the environment here louder and more hype or whatever um he's like give me my mortgage playlist (laughs) give me my defaulted loans I don't know like Google play Rihanna uh, I think if it was actually loud to a problem, yeah. like the like KD and Booker and Beal would be like, hey, yeah. can we turn this down a little bit? Like we can't communicate. There's like rules in plays across the league of like the how decibel, loudly. decibel yeah. levels and stuff. Yeah. yeah. We talking decibels, <laughs> not decimals in talking stick arena. Anyways, uh, my proposal is if whoever wins the in arena tournament, that team should get to pick their playlist on every road game. Mm. So they get to like, it's a little bonus, a little bonus for them. So this, like the Warriors going to Sacramento, they get to play whatever they want. Wow. Yeah. Well, nothing but E40 on I, the road. I for think the this Warriors. would motivate the players as much as the 500K. Not as much as the 500K. Other than the, uh, you know, <laughs> no. Nah, You're doing a, would you rather have $100,000 or play Jay Z? <laughs> yeah, 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 I Yo, love that. Yo, I hard. love that. <laughs> that's a difficult question for Alex. <laughs> that is actually difficult. Uh, what else, man? All right. Are we doing so, the chat thing? 
Yeah, so Chet Hom- Holmgren, um, you know, from the OKC Thunder. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to say this and then we'll break it down. So this Go is ahead. in relation to Kevin Durant. It's three-point shooting this season, which has been absurd. And he tweeted, uh, Chet tweeted, 54 from Trey Ball is OD shooting hang poles. Uh, after 54, I have no idea what any of like this means. <laughs> so can you... What is hang poles? Okay. okay. What's right, hang poles? Break this down. Can we start? By can we start with hang poles? Are we in basketball ESL right now? What is hang poles? So I think we. I think it makes more sense to go in order. Okay. Because it'll make yeah. more sense as we go. So fifty-four. Okay. Um, he did not score fifty-four. He's shooting fifty-four percent on threes. Mm. So from Trey Ball, that's pretty straightforward, Three right? Ball, He's hitting fifty-four yeah. percent nice. on threes. Is just, OD, yeah. which is just like yeah, he's good, out of control. Sick, awesome. Yeah. He's whatever. out of control. Yeah. Um, and then. As I understand it, shooting hang pulls is the hesitation move into a pull-up three. Mm, a hang dribble into a pull-up. A hang dribble into a pull-up. So, Bro, what's hard to understand yeah. about no, but, this, man? But it just Why sounds, do you need ESL again? But it sounds insane. Hard. Shooting hang pulls. Okay. So, Chet got asked about this, by the way. Oh, yeah? What did he yeah. say? He said, it wasn't supposed to be like an English paper. I could probably work on my grammar a little bit, but real ones, no. Oh. I'm sorry to be There's different depths. I'm, 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 <laughs> really are, I'm starting to become a Chet fan. Chet is, by the way, if you go through Chet's like uh, social, like just go through his Twitter. Like yeah. he, this is just how he tweets. It's like, OD, eh? You're saying his Twitter account is OD? Yeah, like another one from Halloween. That joint fire. <laughs> FYA, I need one. Can we call, emoji, can we call like, him OD and an OB? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Another one. Monster the Dorcher is real. November third about Lou Dort. Okay. You know, like it's yeah. yeah, it's not an English paper. It's Twitter.com. Those aren't those aren't making it on accidental Bronson, yeah. is all I'm saying. All right, relax, grandpa. <laughs> no, honestly, this this tweet is one of those is like if you didn't understand this, uh, you, you probably a little washed. I, I think I that's, washed. that's the overall feeling that most people got from this. I've never felt more 39 than reading this. Did you get off my lawn? Have you ever first off, have you ever hit a tray ball and said tray ball? No. No. Have, tray ball is what the Atlanta Hawks play. Yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> We talking. We talking team cat. We talking with Trey Ball Haynes. Yeah. <laughs> OD is nice. Though. I'm gonna start using OD. I'm surprised you don't already. That's Garfield's friend. That's, that's oh, Garfield's come on. friend. Enemy, actually. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, enemy. OD. Yeah. yeah no, hang poles. I have not, never said hang. Hang poles is crazy. <laughs> shooting hang like poles. Firing bullets with a hanger or something. <laughs> All right. My yeah. Man's shooting hang no, poles. honestly, I think a, a, a basketball or like a Hooper ESL segment would actually be pretty sick. Dude. Yeah. We might I, gotta find more of these. I mean, I, we already did the like film room e- and stats ESL segment. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we gotta get more. We yeah. Get also, more. we're retiring Slob Wizard. Are, uh, are we? Oh yeah. yeah we yeah, are yeah. fully retiring that. Anyways, one. next up, uh, support or shade. Uh, De- Devin Booker, after playing former teammate DeAndre Ayton the other night, said, "Quote: He played extra hard tonight. I seen that." And my challenge to him is to play like that every night. Is that supportive or is that shade? It's real is what it is. Okay. It's, uh, I like that he managed to do both. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. a, you know, that's why I'm not sure. Yeah. Is it support or shade? What if I said that to you on the podcast? I don't know. You, you know? do say that to me. I, I, I think it's more shade. <laughs> like, obviously, you have to couch the negative that you're saying in... Yeah in a compliment but yeah yeah, i think part of the reason they were willing to move off of Aiton right after he signed that big deal and when they get this big three together the big three are not thinking well deandre Aiton is a part of this deandre jordan style uh like in brooklyn is yeah i mean he's a frustrating guy to watch like part of the reason that game was so frustrating against the raptors where he had 22 rebounds is deandre Aiton's effort level is not very high he's got to be the most frustrating double double in the league Mm. Mm. um can i ask you guys a quick question 
Yeah, it's your show. So DeAndre Aiden, right? Dominate the the nickname. Yeah. How many games a season do you think DeAndre Aiden has shot more than ten free throws? Uh, none in a, in a game. None. None. I say four. None. Okay. Oh, How yeah. many times do you think DeAndre Aiden has shot five free throws in a game this season? Uh, uh none. Yeah. Well, now the way you're setting this up, I'm going to say none. None. How many times do you think DeAndre Ayton has shot more than two free throws in a game this season? I'm going to say, say once. How many games have they played? They have, he's played in 14 games, if and you, he started all if 14. If you tell me none, I'm going to go now outside. Now I'll say four. One. None. Oh, my <laughs> His God. His free throw attempts. Two, 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 one. And then uh, we, we, we rock it with a whole bunch of zeros. No, he, he a binary code. <laughs> no way. No way. And I think this is what He's bothers people the most. averaging 0.6 free throw attempts a game in 31 minutes? Yeah. As, as a, an interior big. As an interior big. Seriously. Like, so I, I think what bothers people the most watching, or what I've noticed from people watching basketball is just like they get really annoyed Wasted when you have talent. a big that doesn't Wasted play physical around the basket. Yeah. This, we used to like, you know, like harp on Bargnani for like similar things. Yeah. And, yeah, Barnardi also never called himself dominating, by the way. So. No, no, no. It's tough. By the way, in that game that uh, he, he talked about and that this clip came from, DeAndre Aiden was minus 33 in that game. That's pretty hard. Zero free throw. If again. you're going to be a minus, you might as well be over 30. Minus 30. You got a negative Larry Bird. <laughs> Yo, Aiden needs to go and shoot some hang pulls. <laughs> That's all he's shooting is hang pulls, apparently. This guy can never This guy no. needs a hang pull from the second box, man. <laughs> Uh, finally, I think we have time for this, Derek. Uh, we have one more clip. This is Shaden Sharp oh. choosing his favorite food. Here's the clip. Mashed potatoes or mac and cheese? Oh, mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or butternut squash? Mac and cheese. Mac, mac and cheese or cranberry sauce? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or cream spinach? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or sweet potato casserole? Mac and cheese. Mac and, mac and, cheese. and cheese or scalloped potatoes? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or Brussels sprouts? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or buttermilk biscuits? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or steamed broccoli? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or stuffing? Mac and ooh, nah, mac and cheese. Yeah, too. Mac and cheese or cornbread? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or salad? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or sweet potato soup? <laughs> mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or jello casserole? Mac and cheese. So, 54 servings of mac and cheese <laughs> is OD. Uh, no what, what food would you guys have, would you choose over <laughs> nearly everything like Shaden Sharp did with mac and cheese? Is there anything that you guys would hang on to that tight? Good mac and cheese is up there. Like, it's a high yeah. ceiling but kind of low floor. Like, replacement level mac and cheese at, at a mm. takeout spot you is just You call it mac not... and cheese Norman Powell? <laughs> um... Ooh, I don't know geez. if it, we're talking Thanksgiving specifically. Stuffing's at the top for me, like a good yeah. stuffing. That's yeah, homemade. this is this is my U.S. Thanksgiving, you know. Yeah, closing topic. Yeah, yeah. For you, what about you, man? <laughs> first off, I, <laughs> first off, I gotta stop laughing from him just saying mac and cheese. No, it's, 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 it's the, the music. Way, it's the it's the music that kills it. Like he's on beat too. Oh yeah. And I need I need Lee Van oh. Osman to recreate this. With except poutine? yeah, he just picks poutine. <laughs> Bro, that's <laughs> actually all the Scotiabank Arena yeah. stalls. Poutine or noodle bao? <laughs> poutine or, or dinner with Jay-Z? Poutine, poutine or Shanghai 360? <laughs> Shanghai 360, the only thing I got over mac and cheese, man. <laughs> uh, by the way, before you do the outro here, Will, yeah. only, only one big man in basketball averaging fewer free throw attempts per 36 than DeAndre Ayton. Is it Yusuf Nurkic? It's, 
Al Horford. Al Horford. That's yeah, he shoots I mean, come threes. on, man. Oh, he's doing his shooting hang pulls. <laughs> Yo, he's shooting 30-foot hang pulls. <laughs> uh, he's 54-year-old. Hang pulls is what Booker and Aiden used to do post-game when the winners worked. <laughs> they were doing hang uh, pulls in the back. <laughs> no, man. What a great episode, man. Big uh, thanks to big thanks to the Pound of Rock guys. Big thanks to both of you guys. Dennis Schroeder as well. I don't know why I'm skipping ahead, but thanks, everyone. For listening, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Uh, big thanks to everyone behind the scenes as well. Our producer Derek Brandale, Frank Baraska, David Sis, Jared Manitad. Uh, and we'll be back to talk hang polls tomorrow. Mm-hmm.